Hi, I'm Jessica Minhas and welcome to All Go First. We are a nonprofit community dedicated to supporting you on your journey of mental health, hope, healing, and freedom. On this episode, we have the beautiful Annalyn McCord with us. She is an actress, a writer, a director, and producer. You may recognize her from 90210, Dip Tuck, and Power. She's a humanitarian and the creator of the Love Storm, an anti-human trafficking campaign. Oh, and she happens to be my BFF. Our goal on this show is to help you take those little steps towards healing. So on this episode, Annalyn shares her personal journey with her experience of trauma and disassociation and of understanding what people really mean when they say loving the child within. Let's get started. Hi, thanks for having me on your podcast. First of all, I honestly am a big fan. You're Great a big work. fan of me. I'm a big fan of you. But I'm very excited to be on here because you have had some incredible people and I love being in an amazing company. And, and I know that you and I know each other so very well. So I'm going to let you let all the rest of the world know me because it's, isn't it so wonderful knowing you, Jess? It is truly, truly wonderful. So just some backstory. Stop, stop it, stop it. <laughs> we just jumped right more. into our just sarcasm. Say a, say a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just You're really great. I love you pretty. too. You're so really smart. You're you're really you are gorgeous. Now. I was just going to say you're gorgeous. Anna Lynn and I have known each other for a really long time. As you probably can tell, we met in an acting school at William Esper Studios. I had gone to acting school because I was looking for my family, my biological family. And I thought if I was on TV, that might help me a little bit. And I met this very, very young, very beautiful blonde girl with the big, big, big curly hair. Very oh, yes, petite. Curly hair. She's a very tiny little person. And her name is Annalyn McCord. And I, well, first of all, it was just like, I need to be very protective of you. <laughs> Immediately. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's really because Annalyn was 17 at the time. <laughs> you left school at 15. I mean, no, you left home at 15. Grew up in yeah, Monroe, Georgia. School, was homeschooled, finished school at 15 because I was an absolute nerd was is a strong word. I am an absolute nerd. Graduated at 15, as my mother likes to remind me, with honors because I'm her favorite child. When you say homeschooled, was anyone really helping you with schoolwork? Yeah, all my other personalities. We would, I would go into my mind and the round table, I'd be like, hey guys, since no one has ever actually taken trigonometry in my household, father and mother did not. (laughs) Um, you guys want to help out? <laughs> Let's throw trigonometry up on the chalkboard inside my brain and see what happens. Okay, so we're kind of joking. We're not um, exactly um, kind of. We're kind anything. of joking. We're totally serious. Yeah. So, Annalyn has obviously done a ton of press. She is a celebrity, which is totally weird. I love it. I'm so freaking proud of you. I was digging through my office looking for the shape magazine that I have. <sighs> Annalyn's first magazine cover, I freaked out when I walked through Barnes and Nobles and found it. And she's super fit. So of course the cover of Shape Magazine. Fun fact all those she years work out of working out. All. <laughs> all those all those workouts I do all the time. So Annalyn has done just loads and loads of press. She and I were talking before taping about how we both have really shared the same story. And so we wanted to explore a different topic today. And something that is part of the post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma conversation really is this idea of disassociation. And disassociation, when it comes up, it's kind of really misunderstood. So when Annalyn says, all my personalities that were at the table helping with trigonometry, I really mean it. (laughs) It's tongue-in-cheek. I think one of the things, you know, in talking about disassociation, it's clearing some misinformation and some myths. Well, let's talk about what is disassociation first. I brought out one of my old textbooks because like Annalyn, I'm a nerd. Yes, you're such a nerd. The actual definition of it is an adaptive defense in response to high stress or trauma characterized by memory loss and a sense of disconnection from oneself and one's surrounding. So like actual severe disassociation includes some level of amnesia, but there's a massive spectrum of it. Disassociative identity disorder has formally been called multiple personality disorder because that really speaks to how misunderstood it is. 
Because when right. we think of multiple personality disorder, we immediately think of Sybil, we think of like these extreme, very dramatic personalities, but that's hardly ever, ever the case. Usually it's just little nuances and everyone disassociates, you know, when you're in the flow, when you're in the zone, that's a healthy form when you're, when you're daydreaming. But sometimes you can have an experience where it's not so helpful, where you zone out in places that you should be present. And, and that comes back to how we experience trauma. So, you know, early childhood trauma is a big part of this narrative. So back to the trigonometry table. <laughs> For people listening, what was, what was life like in your home? Walk us through a day. In my memory, as, as my life has been stored in the narrative of the life of Anna Lynn, I wake up about 5 a.m., I stay in my bed, I do about seven or eight hours of academics until I'm dragged out of my room to have lunch at 1 or 2 p.m. because I've been ignoring everything and everyone and only like studying away because I'm a little tiny crazy person. I go through uh, domestic abuse experiences throughout my childhood. So in the South, there is what's called legalized violence against children that is just commonplace. What does that mean? Legalized violence towards children is a, an adult human who thinks that it's okay to hit a small human. And so wow. they call it spanking is their favorite word to use for it. I call wow. it violence against children that's legalized. And so does the American Psychology Association. The ineffectiveness and this, the sheer moronic belief that, that hitting a child will teach them to not hit other kids. This is my, this is the world that I grew up in where, where I'm having to use this level of like, let me shake you and <laughs> some sense into you. Right. To then be like, okay, but two adult humans can hit a small child. So that was, that's when you were young. So that started when I was young, but it was more extensive because people will listen to this and think spanking's not a big deal. They will literally say that. Um, I had bruises that lasted for more than 24, 48 hours, according to anything that is considered actual domestic abuse. So there's that. It was also, there were so many levels of it. What that, are you getting in trouble for? I, well, this is another point, right? This, that's the first question to like, what did you do wrong? Did you deserve it? Well, it's more like I'm imagining like what is justified in their mind, legalized violence against children I mean that's so hard for me to even comprehend so then I'm like you know trying to understand how in the world could ever anyone ever think through that what's the rationale well there is no rationale and that's a great point you make Jess because the truth is it's it's parents who are not ready to be parents and what I mean by that is if you are a parent and you are actually going to be an attuned parent who can create a secure attachment for your child that make that child feel safe at all times. I can look at you and know that even if I mess up, you're going to guide me, which is what a parent's supposed to be. A parent who gets escalated probably because they have their own issues. That We're talking really about them. intergenerational trauma. That or, or just, or just people who can't handle their anxiety, like, you know, different things cause anxiety, right? Sometimes when we say the word trauma, people think that it has to mean abuse in these extremes. It can just be that things are like emotionally volatile in the home or, or there's neglect, like, like someone doesn't see the child. So the parent grows up in this world where when they get frustrated, they yell or they scream. And then they think that that's what you're supposed to do to a child because that's what's done to them. And, and when it escalates beyond that, they think hitting the child is okay because they can't manage their own frustration enough to calmly speak to a small child. So, so for me, my, one of the major feelings I had as a child with my memories that I had intact for 31 years, I felt very misunderstood. I was very vocal and very bold and I would constantly get in trouble for just being honest or truthful or for asking the question why. You're not really even getting a chance like other kids. You know, I got to tell teachers, but you're at home. Are you seeing anybody else in the community? I remember one incident where my sister broke her finger and my father tried to block the door to not let my mom take my sister to the hospital. And my mom said, get out of my way. I, she, my mom's all like five foot five. And she's like, I'm taking my kid to the hospital, whether you like it or not. And she literally like bulldozes her little five foot five self through my six foot five father and takes my older sister to the emergency room. And, and cause her hand was turning black. And, wow. and you know, that was one incident where it, it's very confusing. You've got someone who's protective of you 
And then she was also brutally hit as a child and she went on to do that. And we've since, you know, talked about this and she hates that that Your is mom. the way that it was. My mother, yes. I want to just set the scene a little bit to try and understand, you know, because part of what's so remarkable about you is how far you've come and what you have accomplished. And you talk a little bit about that in your other interviews and your TED Talk, just uh, how you really were determined to, to get out of your situation. Why do you think your parents didn't allow you guys to have neighbors, to build relationships with other kids and all of that? So just to set the scene for sure, my mother did start a homeschool group. We were engaging with children, other people. We weren't allowed to leave our home. Kids could, you know, come hang out with us. We would go do events, you know, whatever extracurricular thing that the homeschool group came up with. My mom being the president and my two sisters being social butterflies, we were at the opening of an envelope and I hated it. I wanted to be doing my school and not talking to people. Pretty introverted. Well, you like to study. You're kind of a nerd. That's what bonds us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get out. That's our bond. Yeah. So so this whole dynamic was, you know, in a lot of ways there were there was plenty of social activity too much for me. And and yet there were certain things that were just a little bit off. And we were around people who were also a little bit left of center. And strangely enough, we were kind of the more progressive ones, which is disturbing on a level I can't even begin to describe. So highly so, insular. Very, very insulated and very, um, very, very conservative, very sheltered. I think I could watch Little House on the Prairie and that was about it. So I had this imagination, right? I had this big imagination land inside my mind where I created worlds to remove myself from the world I was in because it was all at once unsafe, not fun. (laughs) Um, And yet we found our fun moments, right? As you do. Um, Terrifying. Loving, volatile, um, confusing, approving, disapproving, like everything was a spectrum. There's one moment that really, I think, really stands out in my childhood that really, um, I think it kind of, it's very, it's very telling for any abuse narrative for anyone wife, you know, victim to abusive husband, husband, a victim to abusive wife. There's plenty of that as well, which doesn't get a lot of, you know, conversation. Victims of psychological abuse, which a lot of times can be women to men, more than men to women ratio wise. The financial abuse, obviously physical abuse. I had this moment and this family that put this big facade on that we were, you know, we would help the homeless and we went to visit the elderly and we were at a nursing home on this particular day. And I was required to wear like really long things that covered my legs, like all the way down to my knees most of the time. But I had this one little outfit that I really loved and it was a matching shirt and shorts. And I got to wear it because it was matching, but the shorts were shorter than I was typically allowed to wear. I remember that the family was inside the room with this elderly woman, but I think only a certain amount of people could be in there. So I was outside in the hallway So I had just seen on PBS a PSA that said, if you have bruises on your body for more than 24 hours, that's considered abuse. And it never occurred to me prior to this that that was the case. And I must have been nine or 10, maybe a little bit older. And I remember when I would see the nurses coming down the hall, that I would lift my shorts so that the bruises would show. But by the time they got close enough to me to see them, I had pulled my shorts all the way back down and I was holding them close to me so that no one could see because I didn't know what would happen to my parents. I so desperately wanted someone to save me, but I was so terrified that something bad would happen to my parents because I love my parents because they're my parents. This biological attachment to your figures. Right. So this was the, this was the the spectrum talking about spectrums of what I grew up in. A lot happened that would lead me to being able to get out when I graduated at 15. Why did you leave? The, the unsafety in the home. My older sister had gone to live with my aunt and uncle the year before. And suddenly I, the family, like my parents were getting a divorce. Like everything was starting to fall apart. And I was kind of the, 
I had kind of played it pretty well. I was like, I got a 4.2 GPA, you know, like I was all like adding electives to my <laughs> studies because I was obsessed with math. I'm a little uber nerd over here. I had a graduation day. I wore a cap and gown at my, in my living room. It was a whole thing. Then got in the truck with my uncle. He drove me to Miami. That's where I started my life. How did you know you could get out? Because it sounds like you were in this very perfect family syndrome, almost. You, you guys aren't seeing much of the world. You do see that PBS PSA and realize, but how did my you know? Mother, my darling mother made one mistake, one very crucial mistake when she was talking to me. And I've told her this and we laugh now. She always used to say, when you're 18, when you're 18, when you're 18, at nauseam. This one particular time, she made the mistake of saying, when you graduate, you can go on and do something that I wanted to do in life. And I was like, oh, I'm not in control of, of when I turn 18, but I am in control of when I graduate from wow. high school. And on that day, that began my like going through the summers, going through the weekends, like waking up at 5 a.m. So when I started going through all of high school, I did five subjects in language arts and then I did five subjects in science. So oh. I was just like tearing through this stuff and I created my escape plan. So I visualize, imagine myself being an actor. I would act out. I acted as if all the time I was like, I would accept my Oscar. I was like, oh, you know, I would like to think, and I made sure to thank everyone, but my parents, cause I hated them. I was so mad at my parents, you know, and the whole thing. And I like to highlight this element and my mom understands and she gets it, but I like to highlight that the difference of then and now something that so many people do is they they're quick to save face and protect because it doesn't sound good to shit talk your parents as an adult you sound like a little whiny brat call me a whiny brat but i'm validating the child that i was and she was scared a, a lot of times and we do have to be honest about what happened this is what we happened do, but that's yeah. not common and you know that more than anyone yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's you. kind of the intent i Don't. hope don't you? Of Algo First is really saying like, this is what it is. This happened. And Ellen's giving me the evil eye right now. Don't you know that more than anyone? Because, uh, because. part of our friendship <laughs> has really been calling each other out about. So what am what I calling you out about right now? What am I? So one thing that I tend to do and somebody that I'm talking to right now in Ellen McCord, something <laughs> that I do, and maybe you do too is I will dismiss my own experience. I will minimize it. I will say, well, in comparison, it wasn't that That sounds bad. all great. Give us an example, Jess, i.e. exhibit A. Hmm. Gosh, I can't <clears throat> really think of anything. Grandfather. <laughs> <clears throat> he was an alcoholic and I think addicts can, I'm really trying to find words here. It's really You're difficult. actually doing the thing I accuse you of doing. Well, I think it, it has been in our friendship that when I've told you my story, you've been like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. And I've been like, what? And then when you've told me your story, I'm like, that's horrible. I have a hard time respecting either of your parents. And anytime I hear about them, I'm, I immediately cringe a little bit and a little bit of rage comes up inside of me. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I think it, it was part of, you know, it was part of my own humanitarian work telling my story to to the girls in Cambodia and to the other places I've done human rights work. And when they'd be like, I'm so sorry, then I'm like, what are you sorry for? And then Anna Lane is one of those friends that'd be like, um, you went through a lot mm. of stuff as a kid. Oh, you know, you just had a bunch of people abandon you because apparently they're more concerned with their own well-being than, you know, two little infants and carriers on dirty diapers in an apartment somewhere. So Anna was so, referencing my identical twin sister. I talk a little bit about this on social media, but I had an identical twin and she passed mm -hmm. in a very, very she preventable. She passed. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. Accident. That's a nice way. Accident. Nope. Probably not an accident. She what happened if there was an adult there? Killed in an accident. My grandparents were not in the apartment that we were in because they were having a party I'm told in a different apartment yes. drinking with friends and there was an accident and my sister and I got involved in that had my grandparents been okay. there would have just been so totally everyone knows avoidable. here's the story there are two two-year-olds two I'm, years I'm on the planet physically getting hot right now and very <laughs> there are two years on the planet there are two two-year-olds playing alone in a storage room I don't know about whoever's listening 
But if you would like to comment on my Instagram and tell me how right I am that that is effedup.com, you're more than welcome to. So this is where our disassociation comes into play, right? We go back and forth from morbid senses of humor where we laugh at things that are not funny because we can't cope with the awkward feeling that we have in the sweat that is the perspiration. That is Can you tell on, right now? On, on the brow. <laughs> Listening. I'm listening a little bit. <laughs> there it is. Okay. And this is the disassociation where the big laughter happens. So, so obviously that's hard to hear from an outside person looking in. When you have gone through the trauma, yes, you're like, I can't cry about this all the time. What do you want from me? Right? So you find yeah. ways to cope. What has been an incredible gift when it comes to dissociation and, and obviously we're going to dive into it, but what's been a gift in my relationship with Jess, her relationship with me as friends, as, as, um, mirrors in a lot of ways, calling each other out, but not really being able to take the advice that we give all the time. The, the moments of growth are also strongly reflected back and those moments where we acknowledge that, Oh, okay. My childhood was, and not unlike millions of individuals around the planet, my childhood was so unsafe that my mind said, no, yeah, you're not going to experience this at this level. You're not going to remember it at this capacity. In fact, you might just forget it altogether because that is the way that you will continue living. The brain cares about survival. Survival has nothing to do with quality of life. It is all about just not dying. So what did Jess and I do as a result of things we experienced? We didn't die. That doesn't mean that Good we have us. awesome lives. Yoo-hoo, we didn't Woo-hoo. die. <laughs> but, All right, but, being sarcastic and maybe disassociating a little <laughs> disassociative, bit. Disassociative, I think. Oh my um, gosh. Okay, so disassociation <laughs> can also sometimes, when you aren't in touch with your feelings, zoning out, it can be in the flow, it can be daydreaming. But to Anna Lynn's point, it is the way that we can tolerate very intolerable situations, often as a child, but also as an adult. I do want to use some words to help describe what it is to help people understand, because I found this great interview by Trudy Chase. She is an amazing woman who's been very open about her experience with the dissociative identity disorder, and it's more... It's, it's farther along on the spectrum because it's much more distinct. And she did an interview on Oprah where she talks about her 92 different personalities. And it was really gripping to watch her because you can see how affected she is and how ashamed mm. she is. But she said some really amazing quotes, and I think it's so brave of her to talk about this experience. She said, it, it wasn't safe to be who I was and that the mind is very kind that you are changed forever and child abuse robs you of your innocence. And one question that she actually posed to Oprah was, can child abuse really do so much damage? Absolutely. I mean, the way it affects you long-term. I think that the disassociation is a little confusing. Uh, multiple personality gets the wrong idea in your head because of media. What I like to talk about are splits. What I experienced, and in hindsight, you know, which is 2020, looking back, I really see how the the spectrum that I was on was this nuanced sp- splitting away from one seeming like type of personality that has interests and um, mannerisms and and forms of talking and forms of acting out or not. So like a grouping almost of behaviors. behaviors. I'll give you a tangible example. So I was on the red carpet and I was being asked, I hate, I hated this question. I hated when people would ask me what my fashion sense was. And the reason I hated it was because it changed all the time. Well, I thought that it was just because I was a moody motherfucker. So I said, you know, I kind of like dress based on my moods. Like I'm kind of like, you know, you might see me wearing leather and spikes with my middle fingers to the planet. And then, you know, you might see me flowing in my free people bohemian dress because I'm now, you know, a little, (laughs) a little tree hugging hippie or, or I might, you know, be wearing a tutu and like super decked out in like strange silks and jewels and being very eccentric. And I also would wear wigs and I also would alter my energy. My energy would alter. And this is what I think splits are. Splits 
to me, this is my scientific clinical take on <laughs> splits. It's an alteration in your energetic field. When you go through severe traumas, in my opinion, the energy gets trapped. Energy never dies. So a feeling or an experience that's buried alive can't die. So it's like time travel. So imagine this, right? Over the spectrum of my life, severe trauma, severe trauma, severe trauma, runs away from home at 15, goes on to experience God only knows what living on my own at 15. All of these years, I've had to be in survival mode. having to cope in different ways, maneuvering things. Some people respond better when I, you know, just drop and freeze and faint and, and other, other situations I can maneuver better when I run and avoid, and then everything kind of simmers and settles and then I'm okay. Um, Other things are better when I go head to head and like go after you and dogmatic and bullying energy. So these energies all put me in a, put me in different nuanced behaviors and it's more extreme than, than a mood, but less than, oh, I'm a different person, if that makes sense. That's what I think a split is. So, so if I wanted to feel something, and this was really indicative of the experience, uh, um, if I was upset and I felt wounded, I would put on my leather and my spikes. And within about 15 to 20 minutes, I'd be like walking with my shoulders kind of slouched back chin back, like kind of too cold. Unapproachable. Unapproachable. Thank you. (laughs) And I had this way that I would do my voice. I'd be like, Hey, how's it going? What's up? Like Mm. I would put on this masculine tone in my voice and I never knew I did it. People would, including my sisters would be like, what are you doing? And, um, and then, you know, the phone voice, everyone does the phone voice. Everyone has the phone voice split. It's like, hey, okay, Jess, do you mind doing this? I'm sorry, I just got a phone call. Hi, this is Annalyn. How are you? Yes, I was just wondering if you could possibly make an appointment for me. And then you go back to talking normal. It's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, how did you become like robot lady on the phone? So there's there's an element of it that that is nuanced. But then there's a level where you can't get the reins back. Hmm. And yeah. that's what I experienced. So I would experience that I would shift into leather wearing spikes, toting, you know, middle fingers to the sky, Annalyn. And when I needed to be kind, that wasn't possible. You just got fight angry, Annalyn, when I was wearing leather and spikes. That's who I became. And when I was wearing bohemian dress and flowy and everything, it was, you know, it was this other side of me that was more in the flow of life. My anger that would translate if I was upset in that zone was more calm, quiet, steely, silent treatment. So the, the, the moods were still there. I could still get angry. They were just shown in different ways. Leather was in your face. Like I, I didn't care who you were or what you're doing. If I'm wearing leather, I'll get up. And to this day I can do it. And my energy shifts immediately. If I like, I just see it happening and I laugh at it now. I'm like, oh, look at how tough you are. You little, <laughs> wearing little tough I love girl. that you have a little compassion for that. I think that's really the start. When did you recognize like, oh, something's different here? I recognized that something was different when I underwent EMDR and remembered years of child sexual abuse. When did you recognize that these different parts of you that had more clustered, distinct kind of behavior? Six months after the memories came back, I started to really notice because I realized how not integrated I was and talk about time travel, these parts of me that I, that I had my brain, I don't like to say I actually, I don't like to own that my brain to help save my life chose to freeze in time a lot of people have a really hard time with this memories that you don't remember terrifying horrifying sadistic awful gross disgusting memories that i have that rival horror films and documentaries and and things that you don't think ever happened to someone you know and they certainly do not happen to you so these are horrific the nature of my memories yes horrific is a, a word to describe it so I would have a hard time believing that it actually happened had I not also had the flooding, the memories coming back all at one big moment after a trigger word. If I didn't have what are called uh, convulsion 
body flashbacks. So the way a war veteran grabs a gun and thinks he's on the battlefield and, and gets triggered in a moment. My body would relive the act of what was sexually being done to me. I would feel inside and outside. My body would react. It would look like a seizure or convulsions, and I would feel burning on the inside, all kinds of sensations, and the flooding of the memories would go and I have a photographic memory so images that are accessible to my brain I can never forget unfortunately so these are all seared forever in my mind but when this happened the body flashbacks also had a second layer and this is what I was talking about earlier where getting the reins back so in the very early stages of my memories having returned completely absolutely inaccessible to me for 31 years, walking in, la la la, texting, going into my 4 p.m. session with my doctor and my whole world shattered because everything that I knew was just, was a complete lie. It was all based on a lie. And so everything got destroyed in a moment, the narrative of my life. I remember when you called me, what was so kind of uh, hard to describe was that I have never heard, it was like I was speaking to a child, like I was speaking to a child who had just, mm. who it had just happened to. And I came home, even just talking yeah. about it makes me teary-eyed. It's like, I can't describe the way your voice sounded. I can't even think of a comparison for when you were crying what what that was like i called chris when i and i was just like i have never heard sorrow like this I could just tell it was a voice that came from so deep within you just like a a, a wail but not <laughs> through your yeah. words like a i mean no yeah I wish I could, and and that's what you know. You really encapsulated it. No, you really encapsulated because the feeling that I felt, for one, I felt really small in stature. So I felt like the world was bigger than it actually is. And the you know how when you go back to a place you used to visit when you were a kid and you look around, you're like, wow, I thought everything was so much bigger. It's so small here. Like, what is this? Like, the this is crazy. So I had the reverse effect where I suddenly felt that things were big and ominous and scary. And I felt really like, where is, like, where is someone? Someone should like be watching me. I remember when my mom flew out to be with me, um, when my memories had come back and the day she was leaving, I went to the airport and I had so in my mind that I could get a gate pass and go with her. Cause I was like, desperate for her to not leave. I was like panicked. And Jess, you've known me since I was 17. I, I, I've had the unfortunate (laughs) sensibility that I need no one. I'm an Island. Um, and so for me to even show need is very hard for me and is, is actually something that I work towards because that vulnerability. Yeah. Because it's a vulnerability that I, that I'm clearly was frozen in time and not safe to have. I wasn't afforded the luxury, right? When I got to the gate, they told me, oh no, sorry, that's for children under 18. I burst into tears at the Delta check-in counter that I visit all the time. (laughs) And I am a platinum or diamond member, okay? Like, I don't cry about travel. Like, this is the thing I do better than anyone. I am like, I've got status, I've got lounge access. My passport has a double layer to it because I travel so much. I'm such a big deal. I am so like, who are you to tell inside me? of me? Yeah. This is what's happening inside of me, right? First of all, I feel really tiny and like I'm going to be left by my mom at an airport and I don't know what to do. Wow. Like, can I even drive? And the other part of me is like, oh my God, you're embarrassing the shit out of me right now. <laughs> this is my, this is my this is literally the one place on earth that's my zone. Like the airport is my, like I live 10 minutes from the airport because of how much the airport. So you had an awareness that that was, that this was happening. Oh yes. But you couldn't couldn't get to yourself. The rain's back. So I stand there 
as awkward as you can imagine this, it was a hundred million times worse. Okay. I stand. <laughs> can't even say this out loud. It's so embarrassing. This is, this is not disassociation. This is sheer humor and comedy. This is just hysterical. <laughs> it's so funny. I stand there by the woman who's just told me I can't go in with my mom. Right. And I, because I also tried to get in at the security level. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going. I'm like, I was like, I have to be with my mom. I can't. And my mom has to get on the escalator and she's having like, she's severely disassociated from her life. And, and she's worked on that quite a bit and is better than ever. But like, she was feeling it hard because she didn't want to leave because I looked like a wreck. And, and it was also like, someone needs to help this little kid. Um, but I stand there while this woman is literally probably two feet from me. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> 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 like wailing, waving to my mom until she's out of sight. Do you know how long that is? The escalator doesn't move quickly. Okay. I'm waving and crying and crying and waving, wailing and waving, waving and wailing. It's going on. <laughs> and I literally, I, I cry all wow. the way to my car. I cry all the way home. And I'm like, I mean, there's the part of me that is still me because I, I've done at this point, that, that was 2018. So I had started my journey, my inward journey, meditation, mindful practice, the beginnings of that back when I was 25. So at this point, I was a solid six years in to, to internal work and, and building that scaffolding that I didn't have emotionally and, and spiritually and mentally. And so here is this mental architect who's rebuilt me from the inside out, the 31-year-old me, incapable of shutting up herself because it wasn't me. And yet it was me. So the word, the key word here, and the reason that disassociation is not, you know, is not something we can fully understand. It's because there are two parts and there is a lack of integration. Integration is the key factor here. I was two people in one in these moments because there had been no integration. And then I had to start asking myself, why? Why could I not? Because I couldn't just, just mem remembering myself didn't do it. I had the acute awareness that that self, that little girl despised me, distrusted Why? me, didn't want anything to do with me because I had made her house so dangerous. I had gone on to seek out BDSM, sexual abuses that she was used to when she was little and tried to get away from by disappearing herself into the oblivion of disassociation in that bubble in my mind that would then be popped when I was 31, I had gone on to be her abuser. Why would she trust me? So now you've got two energies rivaling for the same body. What I'm hearing is like there's, for you, there's one part that's, that's very unapproachable, as we would say, that we've been saying all episode. Very unapproachable. Yeah, just strong, kind of almost vicious, just very protective. And then there's the part of you that's very small, and needs protection. So, so yes, so those would be my 13-year-old self and my six-year-old self. Then there's the 31-year-old Annalyn who has acknowledged her shadow in a lot of ways and has and that's seen you that now. she's, you know, yeah, that, that's yeah. the adult me. And so I'm managing this, this, like, first of all, it's all happening in real time. Like, I'm, I thankfully have our nerd level status in neuroscience knowledge and psychology knowledge and, and all those things, which are helping me to really have scientific like data points to tick off to checklist. Like, oh, this is what I'm going through now. <laughs> Horrible as my body starts going nuts. Um, just for those listening, I started shaking myself like a psycho. Um, so I've got this part of me that is so rooted and strong. And this is why I think that disassociative identity disorder, DID, formerly known as MPD, multiple personality disorder, that, that I would have been diagnosed DID across the board had I not the self-awareness to keep me grounded in the present moment as that part of my consciousness. So what I believe in my personal experience and how it has materialized and manifest itself 
I genuinely believe that, that the splits, the disassociativeness on the spectrum, multiple personality DID as it is understood and, and hopefully not you know, confused. I genuinely believe it is splits in our conscious yeah, self. Yeah, that stuff is fascinating. We could do like a whole episode on just like... <laughs> There's a whole episode on it. So I was doing video journals to document my experience. And, and you see me go into a split and what people would call, you know, demonic possession or something because they can't understand it. So they make stuff up, bless their hearts, as <laughs> they say in the South, bless their hearts. So because my trauma was so severe... You, what you see on the video is absolutely horrifying. And you remember, it wasn't my face. No. You look at my face. I was a little was a yeah. child's face. So in those moments, my vocal cords, my, my, my voice, my vocabulary, my facial expressions, my body mannerisms, completely taken over by baby. So Annalyn would think something as 31-year-old and, as I like to think, moderately intelligent woman with a pretty intelligent, decent vocabulary and well, you know, formed sentences. And it would come out in baby talk. Like I wanted, there was one sentence that I specifically wanted to say, and it was to my older, to my younger sister, excuse me. She was trying to snap me out of this. I know from my research with neuroscience that I need to allow these episodes to play out because they're resetting my nervous system. And that's what I want. That's what nature does naturally. The gazelle does the trauma dance and shakes out the, the experience of being chased by the lion if it gets away. I, my body is having a trauma dance. My little sister was on FaceTime and she was trying to, what she thought was help me get out of it. I want the episode to continue, but I couldn't get that out of, uh, Annalyn at 31 want, wanted to explain to her but what she was saying. I, need, I didn't want her to say it in that tone of voice because she was talking very seriously and my little sense of littleness was getting really triggered by her tone. I, in my mind, I thought this thought, Rachel, can you please be kind to me right now? You know, your tone is triggering me. That's the sentences that I thought in my mind. What came out was, I want my Rachie. I just want my Rachie back. I want my Rachie back. Even as you're saying that, I can see it on your face. I could not push through the adult sentence, no matter how hard I tried. I was actually like, act like pushing my lips like like thinking that I could physically push the words out couldn't get it out it was absolutely trippy as hell amazing crazy scared were you ever scared of yourself two times two memories um I shut down the one memory that I caught on camera would not I would have it come up and I would go into not disassociation into denial. Denial is when you choose to shut something down. Disassociation is when the brain or body shuts it down for you as a survival mechanism. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're illustrating that. That's really important. And, And there is a lot of misinformation around this because a lot of people will be like, Oh, they're just in denial. That's not necessarily true. Their body or brain might be disassociating and they might not have the awareness and you see it, but they can't. So I was denying a memory that felt like abstract terror and I wasn't able to see it. Uh, it would, this would go on for eight months where I would get like triggers of it. I actually saw this happen myself. I was with you one time and yeah, the dynamic was really that I had to console you. You, you were inconsolable until I, I soothed you almost like a mom would. Mm, yes. I was desperate for mom energy. So if you think about time travel, my need was to go time travel back, let's say to 1993, to go check on my six-year-old self. So what I would do is in my mind, I'd go in, I'd be like, Mama Anna's here. I'm coming to rescue you out this memory. And also watch this while I kick this person in the face. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd pick up my little self and I'd get the heck out of there. As I began this, this memory work, going back into these memories and bringing in my current self, I was actually creating resources, anchors of safety in real time that altered the experience of my child self as I would feel her inside my body, not panicked as much and feeling, you know, more nurtured, which would also at the exact same time, the way with time travel, if you change something back then, you change something now. I was also making my 2020 or my 2018, 2019 and 2020 self safer. And I would make better decisions. So you were able to develop these markers so that when something like this was happening, you could come back to it. I made markers. I could come back to it. What I essentially was doing was loving myself for the first time. 
And by loving myself in 1993, Annalyn in 2019, 2020 started to feel more love for herself. When I was showing compassion to six-year-old Annalyn in 1993 in my mind, Annalyn in 2020 learned that compassion is really important and she can feel that for herself in 2020 as a 32-year-old woman as well. And this has been the journey of what has now created a family inside myself. I check in, I go in and I'm like, Hey guys, who's here? What's up? <laughs> Who wants to come give me a hug? And I, it's my six year old self and my 13 year old self who are very definitive. And my six year old self always has cotton candy. So it's like, if she's good, we know she's good when she has cotton candy. Don't know where the cotton candy came from, but the cotton candy is a good indicator that we're good. If there's no cotton candy, I need to check in. I'm like, oh no, what I do? And 13 year old me is too cool for school. So I do want to just emphasize though that again, what we're talking about, disassociation, there is a spectrum from multiple personality disorder. It's now called disassociative identity disorder. And what we think of when we when we imagine it in the press and the media and movies and stuff, it is not like that at all. Part of my mission, I'll go first, is to destigmatize a lot of these conversations because so much comes out of trauma. And I want to encourage people that pushing in is scary, but it's worth it. And that we shouldn't be thinking of these different diagnoses with a lot of just judgment. You know, we can have these experiences and we can, we can if we want to, put labels on them, but we can heal from them. Um, and even as Anna Lynn is speaking about her experience, you know, just, just really quick on my own experience with disassociation, you know, I definitely, with a lot of therapy work, realized that one of the things that come up for me is a very shy, very meek personality when I get intimidated and when I get nervous. And even sometimes when Chris a few times just like spooked me and been like, boo, and I shrink into a little person, I start crying, even though I have an well, awareness. See, and what's, the, what's so bad about um, what we do in that next moment oftentimes is that we immediately scold that little self. Yeah, there's because you're there's shame. you're supposed to be an adult, and and you're going 1993 just reacted. Then you're treating that once again. You're you're actually continuing. You're perpetuating this to continue on into perpetuity if you don't ever look at it with kindness. So it really requires the inner the inner work and, and maybe you don't do it the way I do it where I have a very visual experience. Like I said, I've always had a huge imagination in my mind. So I can imagine out these moments with my little self where I really just pick her up and I say, I'm so sorry for all of your pain. I'm so sorry that you were abused and misunderstood and left unseen. No one saw you, no one heard you. And I, and I left you behind all these years I turned my back on you and here you were the most innocent, beautiful part of me. Like, and I imagine having that conversation with the little me inside my mind and like without fail tears and repair and healing and an ability to look at another person who's coming at me with whatever version of their triggering response mechanisms is taking place and I see this little boy or this little girl and I'm like, who hurt you? When did it start? Because I'm touching a wound that's very deep and I see it. I, I see how deep it is. And I, I hate that I was the one that brushed up against it so lightly, but so deeply triggered you to feel so much pain. And, and in real time, I'm learning how to do this because I've gone back in time and I've fixed the little moments that led up to me not being able to do it because we actually all are so naturally like this. My little brother, Johnny, he's three years old. I remember I was going through a breakup and I was in the back seat and he was in the car seat and he just took my head in his lap and he laid my head down. He was his little fat fingers through my hair and he said, it's so tasty. See, I was crying. He said, it's so tasty. See, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm not doing nowhere. Wow. I'm not doing nowhere. Three years old. Can you imagine? Like, have, I'm like, I want, I want little Johnny. <laughs> I want him as my everything. I, but, I want, anytime I see like an amazing mom on TV, I always say to whoever I'm around, I'm like, I want that. I want that. <laughs> but that's who we are. I'm in, it's just like such a learning process as we sort of wrap up. I, 
I want to know, Annalyn, what have you learned from all of this? I have learned that there are no mistakes. What do you want people to know? The moments you're experiencing are a part of a path that you're on. The moments in your life that have brought you to where you are in this exact moment, or if you're in suffering right now, there's a difference between pain and suffering. I am not discounting your suffering, but I'm letting you know that you're in control of it. And I never knew that. Suffering is resistance of what is. I resist when other people are in pain. That's my lesson, constant lesson of my life. It is very hard for me to sit by and watch other people be in pain. My lesson is that I have to do everything I can to help. And if they're still in pain, this is a life experience that they need to learn to make them the human they're meant to be on their path. And I have to live in acceptance of that because their story, not unlike mine, will make them who they'll be one day, is making them who they are today. My story, if someone could have rescued me, of course, get that little girl out of there. But I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be this crazy, wild, nuanced, wig-wearing, you know, spikes and leather toting, you know, wild child who does everything in her power to save the children of the world, starting with the children stuck trapped in the inside of all the adults. Because that's actually, they're the ones who will save all the kids if we set those yeah, inner children that. free. So that's my little Annalyn message to the world. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on this journey with you. I'm, I'm so thankful for you to you know, give your wisdom to, to us oh, and, and for our I listeners. I but you're so far away. I know. Oh, virtual hugs. This is amazing. And I'm going to interview you soon. Is that all right? Can I interview oh, you? Yeah. 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 Tune in next week soon. for Annalyn McCord interviewing Jessica Minhas. Oh, okay. I'll, all right. On the next episode, do it next week. I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll see you next see week. See you next week then. <laughs> I better see you every day until then. Too. I know, right? I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at I'll Go First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>